Hey everyone, Christian here. Uh, the episode you're about to hear is the conclusion of chapter four, and that means it is time once again to ask the Once and Future Nerd. If you have a question you'd like to hear answered on our video live stream, DM us on Facebook, Reddit, or Patreon, or post on Tumblr or Twitter using hashtag AskToAFN. Make sure to get your questions in before midnight Eastern on Friday, June 22nd. The live stream is going to happen on Sunday, June 24th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on our YouTube page. And there's a link to that in our show notes if you don't already have it. Um, and the audio will be posted to the podcast feed shortly thereafter. Also, due to swift and intense popular demand... Our take on the folk song Maddie Groves from Chapter 4, Part 3 is now, as you're hearing this, available for download on our Bandcamp page. There's a link in the show notes for that, and our Patreon patrons will be getting a discount code for it. But also, all of our sales in the first week will be going to charity. Act Blue has put together a bundle of charities to help protect the rights and well-being of children detained at the U.S. border. That kind of seems like a moral no-brainer to all of us over here. And there's a link to those charities in the show notes as well if you'd like to check them out for yourself. Okay, I will shut up now and let you enjoy the episode. Thank you as always for listening, and we'll see you in a week for our live stream. Once and Future Nerd, Book Two, Myth Made Flesh. Chapter Four, I've Been Working on the Whale Road. Part Four by Shannon Harris, Christian T. Kelly Madera, and Gregory M. Schultz. I'm afraid this changes teams. You'll remember when last we met that the reverie aboard the Red Reaver was interrupted by the discovery of an elvish naval presence around Armstrongard. We can no longer smuggle you into Armstrongard. It's too dangerous. What? The fuck that? We had a deal. That was before, when I only half believed your royalty tale. My ass is done for if me set foot on shore with the elves around. So do I have to tell the whole underground that Red Wren's word is worthless? Test me and you'll be telling it to the sharks. Or keep your mouth shut long enough to listen and see beyond your nose for me to tell you what I am willing to do for you. I'm listening. I can get your past the breakers a good way south of the blockade. And you can still have a rowboat on the hose. You know damn well we can't row our way past five frigates. Best offer. Take it or leave it. Come on, Ren. We're cut from the same cloth. Ha! Let's put our heads have together. Have you heard a word I said? If we get anywhere near the city, you trot off my boat, blend in. My crew and I get strung up on sight. I can't believe what I'm hearing from the fiercest pirate alive. How about this? We'll get back in some crates and barrels. A few of your strongest men dump us on shore. I can take it from there. You're deaf. Stupid. Or do you think I was born yesterday? 
Why should I risk my life and my crew's lives for you? May come up to the shore with an elf black kid, and there's no way they don't search the ship. And when they see me, no. My whole life I've stayed at sea as much as possible. My pa taught me that when I was a wee little teen. At least you had a pa that you knew. Look, now's not the time for a round of who of the gods fucked worse. We can sit around a campfire someday, trade war stories. You delusional twat. Pardon my lack of manners, your royal majesty, heir to the high throne. Me should know better. Insulting royalty might be a capital offense. I was raised far from any throne. And then you ran from one. Parting. It's hard to have choices in life, isn't it? You calling me a coward? I tried to tell you that the elves... Reclaiming my time. No, I've given you your options. Regan and Wren were locked in a death stare. Oh, by God, you'll want to see this. Alfie broke, or at least subdued, the tension as he barged onto the deck with the crying baby, followed closely by Arlene and Gwen. What? We can explain. explain. Shh. Great. You said there was a baby before you dropped it on me that you had an elf with you. But look at his eyes, Mum. Might not have noticed myself if I hadn't gotten close. Red Eye Wren studied the babe's eyes, just the slightest bit redder than would have normally been seen in the human realms. Which one of you two been dallying on the other side of the mountains? Oh, well, uh, he's... No, nope. tell her where he's from. The truth. We think its mother was an orc. We found her half dead, fleeing the battle at Freehold. Didn't know what else to do but take him in and hope no one noticed. But the elves did. Which doesn't help your situation. Wren peered at the baby again. Arlene, Gwen and Regan held their breaths as Wren stroked the baby's head and cheek. Nice of you to not leave a little baby to die. May I hold him? Yes. No. He and I are cut from the same plot. As she bounced him gently in her arms and paced back and forth, his crying subsided. Oh, poor team. Yes, Menor. Life upon the sea can be rough, but you're safe, little one. Arlene, Gwen, and Regan's eyes bounced cautiously from one another to Ren and the baby. Wren then stopped her pacing and rocked the baby back and forth in her arms while she stood in place. By this time, he'd fallen asleep. There's a cove, a treacherous one, mind you, that we could use as an entry point to dock at Armstrongard. But we still need the cover of darkness, and we don't have the time to wait around for that. What if I could get you some fog? The fuck? Get me some fog. My second. She can make fog. She's a mage. So you, the illegitimate scion of House Grenital, brought a runaway elf and a fugitive noblewoman 
with an oak baby on my boat. And now a star mage? Wren attempted to cup the baby's ears by pressing him to her body and placing a hand on the exposed ear. Who the fuck else you got with you, eh? The dead Prince Uta? Throw some cold water on your crew. There's work to do. Arden, the so-called Annihilator, was not happy. He had been forced to give up pursuing the most direct path to the thing he sought due to the weather. Not that he couldn't stand the snow. He had, after all, recently been awoken from a block of ice. No, it seemed that the ancient warrior refused to leave his new companions alone and unprotected. I fear those men are not long for this world. A storm-ridden mountain is hardly a suitable place for them, much less you or I. Leave no man behind. Ah, right. We should be coming up to the tunnel soon. Hopefully these two will do the sensible thing and stay be- ah! Maguire had just set foot in a bear trap, snaring him to the spot and causing him quite a bit of damage to his already decaying ankle. A fucking bear trap! What daft fool thought it would be a good idea to leave one so close to... Oh, Arden, we may have company soon. We are too few to be a company. Full company requires many more men! No, not a group of soldiers, you golem. These traps were set on this path for a reason, which means whoever set them is likely trying to catch people. You two, don't move an inch. There might be more. A tree beside the two men with them erupted as it was struck with a blast of magic. Jethro and Traft emerged from trees along the path, weapons drawn. Lay down your weapons. There's nothing you can do, and no way you can run. Mm. This one doesn't seem to get it. Big guy, though. Hey there, bigger fella. I bet you don't take no for an answer and get whatever you will to be yours. Can't you use that power to help us? I mean, your friends here get to stay a-breathing. Arden looked at the robed mage with contempt. He drew his warhammer, pointing it at Jethro. The only magic man. Prepare to die! Arden took up a battle stance, which unfortunately caused him to step into another of the bear traps Traft and Jethro had set. I told you, there's no way for you to- Arden, seemingly undeterred by the trap lodged in his ankle, yanked it out of the ground and charged Jethro. The old mage barely dodged the massive warrior, retreating to the trees. Arden glared at the foliage, unsure of where his robed foe had disappeared to, before turning to Traft, weapon raised. <laughs> Tell me where your friend has gone. He's not my friend. You fight with him. Not by choice. All men choose who they fight with. Traft stared at the hulking warrior in front of him. A glint of recognition crossed his face before setting into a look of determination. Damn right they do. With blinding speed, Traft <laughs> threw his miner's axe towards Arden. The giant's eyes widened as the weapon whirred inches past him embedding itself in Jethro's chest as he tried to sneak up on the Goliath. Jethro fell to his knees as he shot a look of rage and surprise at Traft. With a nod of respect towards said general, Arden turned to the humbled wizard, raising his hammer high, and as with most of his enemies, 
brought the hammer down upon Jethro's head, shattering it with one strike. Though an astute observer might have noticed that Jethro's body went limp a moment before Arden's devastating blow. Hmm. Damn spooky son of a bitch had it coming a mile away. Arden, I'm glad you made a new friend and all, but would you mind getting me out of this blasted trap? These two seem to be no help at all. The two orcs stood awestruck, not at yet another show of Arden's strength, but at Traft. Both ran to Traft's feet, kneeling and weeping to see him alive. Well, not quite what I was expecting. Get up. I'm not your leader anymore. Arden took in the scene before deciding to free both Maguire and himself from the bear traps. Thank you, Arden. I gather you're someone I ought to know. Gather I could say the same. That old bastard we killed had a cabin up the path a ways. I'm headed there anyway for supplies. Plenty to go around. Come in out of the cold a bit and we can talk about how we got here. So as these five warmed their fingers and toes by the late Jethro's hearth, the two young orcs regaled Maguire and Arden regarding the rise and temporary fall of Comrade General Traft Sixhills, the forger of clans and smasher of gates, born of an Easterner and raised by the elves, who burned many Eastern forts. Das ist ein gut friend to Motherland. Not nearly as glamorous as they make it sound, I promise. But, yeah. I've fought to free my people from elven slavery, and I aim to keep doing so. Well, in that case, we're kindred spirits. The big fella. If I didn't know better, I'd say he matched the description of Arden our... the Annihilator. The Annihilator's been dead for 3,000 years. Not dead so much as imprisoned with magic. I, on the other hand, have been dead for 3,000 years. Maguire lowered his hood to reveal the mummified death mask that was presently his face. Traft could not help but be taken aback. Uh, how? What do you know of the arcane arts? Traft's eyes flicked back in the direction of Jethro's cellar. Well, a whole lot more than I used to, I'll tell you that. Well, you should keep at your studies. Turns out any idiot can get quite good. To answer your question... I'm here because one such idiot so wanted to boff one of his schoolmates that he learned how to disturb the rest that should not end. Raise the dead, you mean? Where is this idiot? I've got some questions I'd like to ask him. Ah, matron only knows. Left him on an ice floor after the annihilator annihilated what was left of his body. Oh, I see. Believe me, your life is better for not having known him. You like, I can teach him most of what he knew, and the rest, well, best to leave it forgotten. I uh, appreciate the offer, uh... Ah, yes. I was called Fen Maguire. I've read about you. You were a general in the rebellion of the unnamed king. Queen! What's that? Queen! Queen Irana Shivan Machul was the name the elves erased from history. Great queen. Greatest queen! Aye, she was an excellent queen. Speak no ill of her. 
was a badly kept secret that Arden carried a bit of a torch. Did not. I fought for safety of Motherland. And yes, I did lead one of her armies. Well then, kindred spirits indeed. Where y'all headed after this? Under the mountains. Fixing to get back west? Not just yet, but we'd be happy to point you in the right direction. What are you going for then, if uh, you don't mind me asking? Heroes Arsenal. Ever heard of it? We're after McConnor's shield first. You gonna tell me that tall tale's true as well? Young man, I've seen it wielded in battle. Iron can't pierce it, and elf silver flies right around it. Well, shit. Today's just a day for learning, I suppose. Listen, General, I'm inclined to travel with you a ways if you wouldn't mind. Not at all. Uh, unfortunately, I ought to get going soon, weather be damned. Some folks looking for me I'd rather not meet. That's well enough. The snows only like to get worse the longer we wait. There's some food in the cellar, but some of it you, uh, you wouldn't want to eat. I'll gather what's good, then we can get along. A few minutes later, Traft emerged from the cellar with a full pack. All right, let's go. I am inclined to burn this place to the ground before we do, though. Aye, and I'm sure you've ample reason, but better not to. Should the snows worsen quickly, we'll be glad to have shelter we can return to. Suppose that's wise. All right, then. Traft gestured to his new companions that they might leave first. Maguire bowed politely and then obliged. But before Traft left, he stopped in front of Jethro's portrait and its uncannily lifelike eyes. Thanks for the supplies. Maybe I'll find what you were looking for. Either way, good riddance. Traft turned and walked out the door, joining his new travelling companions, unaware that the eyes he was just staring into followed him all the way. Having worked out their differences for the moment, Ren and Regan saw to getting Regan's party where they needed to be. You're sure you can keep that thing from squawking? Ah, oh, Your Grace. And you'll keep us hidden as long as we need it? Oh yeah, sure thing. So, you dye the ropes at certain lengths, and that tells you how far away the object is. Oh, yeah. The key is being consistent with your throws. Results won't mean much if the measurement is inconsistent. Ulf! Quit showing off to your new friend, and get to the bow. We'll need your fancy rope soon enough. Ren looked over the reaver one last time, before nodding to one of her crewmates to lower their boarding ship into the water. The boat effortlessly dropped into the water on the starboard side, concealing it from the blockade. With a nod from Regan, Jen raised her hand into the air. Slowly, a mist gathered around, hiding the skiff's passengers and its light wake as the oars gently guided them towards the shore. After a few moments, Ren gave a nod to Alf. The second mate lifted a harpoon made of light wood and tipped with a piece of pumice with a lead of coloured rope. With a measured arm, Alf threw the harpoon in the water at a shallow angle with barely a whisper of a splash. 
Alf let the rope feed through his hands until he grabbed the end. He waited for a moment and then pulled the harpoon, which had floated to the surface, back to the boat. This happened again and again, Alf leaning forward, listening to something. And then, at the sound of the thud, Alf's hand snapped shut on the rope. He noted the colour, made a gesture to Ren at the rudder, and drew the harpoon back in, only to throw it once more. A shadow gradually formed into the shape of an elven ship. Brennan and Nia hurriedly pulled in their oars as the ship loomed ever larger above them. The small boat was turning to angle itself parallel to the great craft to travel in its opposite direction, but had too much momentum to avoid collision. Alf widened his stance across the width of the boat and held out his harpoon. As the soft pumice hit the hull of the ship, the great pirate pushed off of it with his harpoon, causing the rear of the boat to only graze the warship. Unfortunately, Elvish ears are finely attuned. Ren knew as much and with a flurry of sharp looks and brusque hand gestures managed to get the rowing crew back to work. The group spent the silent, tense journey out from under the ship, looking up at the dark form of the deck that lay in the mist. Just as the boat got out from under the ship, two elves approached the railing of their ship near where the boat had been. The thick mist provided the rowboat ample coverage where they stood. So, did we... Billy threw up his hands defensively, returning to his oar. At the sound of his harpoon hitting an object, Alf raised a fist into the air. Ren motioned for the rowing to stop. Alf sent one more hand signal to Ren, who set the rudder in its last position. As the boat ran aground parallel to the shoreline, Ren and Alf reached out to catch well-worn rocks in a motion used hundreds of times before. Well, Chief Queen, this is where we part ways. Appreciate the ride, Ren. Can you keep that fog going a little while longer, girl? Um, yeah, uh, how, how long do you need? Fifteen minutes. Should be enough to get back to the reaver. You got it. Babe, you sure? You, you look pretty zonked. I'll, I'll tough it out. Alf, did you ever think about using a crossbow for your rope trick? It should be easier to keep consistent than your arm. Oh yeah, sure. Thought about it, tried it. Never could get the figure sorted. Mm, yeah, it's a squared relationship. The energy stored in the bow is the draw distance times itself, times some constant specific to the bow. Mm, times itself, you say? Well, now that changes things. Thanks for the tip, little miss. Ren, think about my offer, all right? Admiral's good work if you can get it. I still don't think you got a snowflake's chance in Summer Hole at the High Throne. But if me wrong, Perhaps you'll hear from me. Let's be on our way, Alfie. You all be well now.
Meanwhile, at the site of the unceremonious death of the great Bryce Riverfell, we find Relotite as we left her, fuming over being outmaneuvered yet again by an opponent who was worthy indeed. She had, however, moved on to a subsequent step in the grieving process, if you will, burying the dead. That is, she barked orders at the men charged with disposing of the general's body in a nearby ditch. Quickly! Now burn him! I'd have you piss on him first if there were time. A messenger pigeon descended onto Ree's shoulder. Its message bore the seal of the faculty of the College of Armstrongard. Ree withdrew a few steps from her company and began silently reading the eagerly anticipated correspondence. Greetings, Lord Commander. In response to your query, I am writing to confirm that I am well acquainted with the clerical acolyte after whom you inquire. Nia is a former pupil of mine, humbly born to clergy and sealed. Rebeamed as she held Balokir's letter to her chest, like a note from a dear friend or a lover with whom she was eager to reunite. Do you require a recommendation on her behalf? Perhaps a little... Humbly born to clergy and Seahold. Ree obviously did not bask in her reverie for too long. Within moments, a messenger pigeon was dispatched to Seahold. We turn our attention there now, just as an elvish officer believes she is finishing a conversation with the town's humble clergy. I appreciate your time, reverence. Please, my lord. Mildred and Ben... And you're very welcome, of course. I'll take my leave of you now. The humble priest and priestess bowed low before turning and walking away. When the pigeon arrived, and the major saw its message bore the personal seal of her Lord Commander, she hastily unfurled and read it. Reverend Mildred? Reverend Ben? Yes, my lord? Am I right to understand you've a daughter named Nia? She left here to study in Armstrong Guard. Mildred and her husband shared a look of grave concern. What's happened? Oh, I'm afraid your daughter is in grave, grave peril. I must ask you to come with me. Quickly, as you please. The Once and Future Nerd is directed by Christian T. Kelly Madeira. It is created and executive produced by Zach Glass and Christian T. Kelly Madeira and co-executive produced by Jess Kelly Madeira. Alex Story and Ryan Cushman are associate producers. It is performed by... Rhiannon Angel Garrett Arman Dan Dobransky Anya Gibeon Ian Hawkins Shannon Harris Paul Notice Juliet Prather Frank Quares Julie Reed Gregory M. Schultz. Special guest appearance this chapter by Charlie, an improvised musical team. Production audio recording by Jared Paul. Editing by Christian T. Kelly Madeira. Mixing and sound design by Pedro Tarago. Tom Lee is our musical director and lead composer, with additional scoring by Chris Montalbo. For more, visit onceinfuturenerd.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, or Reddit. Music